thank you guys for joining the 47 podcast yet again. I'm RJ. This is Mike. Uh, we are uh, week after week telling stories and listening to stories from uh, Christian rock artists all over the place uh, from the 90s uh, to today. Uh, and today we have someone uh, very special. We have Jenny Simmons, uh, formerly of Addison Road and solo projects and authoring and mothering and all of the above. Uh, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been it's been great uh, trying to get uh, artists on the show. You and I have been speaking for uh, probably a couple months now, I think, um, and just going back and forth trying to pin a date. But between three people with about uh, 19 kids between us, um, we just tried to figure out uh, when would work. And here we are on a Saturday night uh, hanging you. out. So I'm very excited about it. Um, but Jenny Simmons is here. She is from uh, Addison Road, which was early 2000s all the way to probably around 2011, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then you had some solo stuff throughout the mid-2010s uh, um, and uh, some authoring as well uh, throughout that time. So we'll get into a little bit of each of those things. But um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Um, you know, what was your uh, childhood like? Okay. Um, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. I, um, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, outside of Dallas, Texas. Actually, I started off in Mississippi, then Dallas. And my parents just like from a super early age said, um, but they were both in ministry and they were like, we're not going to tell you, you can't listen to secular music. You can listen to whatever music you want, but we will always feed your Christian music addiction. And that was sort of it. Like I, I seriously, my mom would take me to concerts that we like back in the day, they were in seminary and we were totally broke. And so in Dallas, she would take me to these big concerts and she was like, let's just wait outside because people always have extra tickets from church groups that they don't use and we can look pathetic and they'll give it. To us. <laughs> I was like, excellent. And it worked every time. I was like, this woman's brilliant. So, um, so that's how we got into a lot of shows. And I fell in love with music. Um, my dad would take me like legit out of school. I remember it's like sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade to go stand in line at um, Lifeway Christian stores to like get autographs from artists. And um, so that was kind of I was I was the biggest 1990s CCM music nerd you had ever <laughs> met. Like every every Charlie Peacock article in CCM magazine, I would cut it out and put it on my wall. Um, you know, so that, that was me. That was my growing up years was just two parents in ministry. I loved Christian music and, um, I went to college, um, feeling like I was supposed to do something in ministry, but honestly, my parents had, my mom had been on church staff and then gotten really burned. And I was just like, I will never do that. I will never, ever like God will have to drag my body into the church building, kicking and screaming before I do that. So what else can I do? that like marries my faith and my love for people and my call to ministry without having to work for a church. And it should be noted that now I am on a church staff. <laughs> uh, and, um, and surprisingly, I really, really love it. So nice. So and, and is it youth? It's youth pastoring, right? Or it is. Something to that effect? Everything. I, um, it's a disciples church. So women are ordained in our congregation. So I preach from time to time. I, nice. Um, do youth ministry stuff. I'm in my last year of seminary getting my master's of divinity. So I've been in school for almost right. four years now. Um, and so I just, yeah, we do a little bit of everything. That's awesome. Yeah. So Jenny, I got a question for you. So now you said you're the biggest Christian, not <laughs> Christian person ever. You have not met the Mr. Mike Sparrow here. Tell you right <laughs> now. I forgot to mention one of the reasons why we started this podcast is because mm -hmm. I would try to talk to my wife. I'd be, Hey, listen, honey, 
you don't know anything about audio adrenaline. I could tell you where they were and all these things. Where it's like, seriously, don't talk to me about this. I'm st- I'm done talking about this. So I said, RJ, we need to start a podcast so I can get this stuff off my chest. I'm so happy I found my people. That's what I'm talking about. So what <laughs> right. are, who was your who was your 90s people? Who were you listening to in the 90s? So I mean, for sure, audio adrenaline. Oh and- yeah. Every every single word, and and it's really hard to end up in music because I was such. I think I cut off there. I was such a fan girl, so I yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always my bandmates would be like, Jenny, please don't be a dork. Like, please play it cool. And I was like, okay, okay, I got this. <laughs> I was that way the other day. So we went to the, I went to Soul Fest to see Disciple, and we had Disciple on this pod on the uh, podcast. Uh, maybe. Three months ago, we had Joey, we had uh, Josiah and Toby. So my friend Jonas Woods um, goes to me, "Hey, I'm gonna get you in." I was a little, I was a little girl. The whole, I was driving the whole time, going, "Oh boy, what if they?" I told my wife, "Honey, if they touch my hand, you are not allowed to touch me for the rest of the night until I get home. No touching, no touchy touchy." Oh, okay. I'm gonna chop my hand off, put it on the nightstand, and says, "Don't touch." I was that guy. I, 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 I'm proud of you for that. Thank I, you. I was the girl that would like, I wait to see if I could catch Toby Max sweat towel and then tack it up. <laughs> to the room. So it was like hanging down. Yes. Like little, April. I'm normal. Just let I'm me like, do, not, do not wash this towel. Then you yes. washes this towel. It's like a Catholic with holy water. That's yeah. what that I call my wife. I'm like, listen, Josiah just touched my hand. That's it. <laughs> Nothing for a week. Now I, I apologize. I feel like the odd man out here a little bit. I didn't become a oh, Christian until here? 1998. <laughs> yeah, I became a Christian in 98. So I had to backtrack and go listen to the old stuff. Um, I was listening to Jars of Clay, DC Talk. Um, you know, I, I grabbed all those. You know, those compilation albums. Uh, Sonic Flood was another uh, huge mm-hmm. one for me. Who else were you listening to at that time that kind of shaped you know your musical career? So I think honestly, it goes back way before that. So my parents were like true hippies who got, my mom got like radically saved when she was literally had smoked a joint and was high as a kite and accidentally ended up at a football stadium where she thought the guy was, um, she thought it was a football game. It was actually an evangelist and she was um, in drama club in high school and um, had just done these debates at school and she was a really good speaker and the guy was getting money, giving like people were giving him money in a Chick-fil-A bucket. And she was like, oh, this guy's good. Like, what? <laughs> why in the world are people putting money in a bucket for him? And so she stayed seriously like high and ended up having this like radical experience, like hearing God's voice for the first time. She was just from the most like irreligious place you could possibly imagine. So all that to say. They get, um, they get saved, married like six months later. They're like both 19, 20 years old, get pregnant with me and go um, start listening to Christian music and go out to the mission field. And so when I was little, 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 I mean, probably before I was even born, it was all records. And so it was second chapter of Acts and all the early day Amy Grant stuff and um, Larry Norman and old school Sandy Patty. Imperials? The Imperial. Oh, yes. I, we are all, I'm feeling it. I'm telling you right now. My mom and dad grew up in the Imperials. Oh my word. I was listening to them the other day. I was like, 
It's so good. I tell I tell my mom and dad, listen, when you die, I don't care what I get, but Just I give want me the records. I want your records. Like for the love, do not get rid of your 1970s, 1980s Christian albums. So I listen to that. I still like before I go to preach or before I have a, a big moment, I will put on um Amy Grant's her very age to age album. Like yeah. I listen to that regularly. I still listen to this day regularly. Um, to a Twyla Paris song called The Warrior's a Child, Amy Grant, Doubly Good to You, Rich Mullins. I I mean, he's mm. fast forward to the 90s, but I listen to the same Rich Mullins song every single Sunday morning before I go to worship. And I have for decades. Uh, so this is, you know, this is the music that shaped me and gave me life. Rich Mullins was a winds in heaven, stuff on earth. That yeah. literally is probably one of the best albums ever. Mm. In Christian music. Yeah, I I would absolutely agree with that. On yeah. like the his voice, mm. he he was kind of like a Michael W. Smith. He wrote everything. Yeah. And his lyrics, but he actually wrote his lyrics, which was different than Michael W. Smith. Michael W. Smith actually had like Wes King write a lot of his early lyrics mm-hmm. uh, on his first few albums. But Rich Mullins was Probably he he is the legend. Like that album, right? Winds of Heaven, stuff on Earth. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Agreed. And he, I, I think from him, that's I'm grateful for for guys like him, women like him, that were so honest. Because I, you know, I we live in this culture right now where you have all these people like Jen Hatmaker and um, Glenn and Melton and all big voices that are big bloggers and they're being authentic and vulnerable. Yeah. Rich Mullins was being authentic and vulnerable before it was cool. Yep, before yep. it was, mm-hmm. before it was socially acceptable, before it was easy. Like this man was bearing his scars um, for us to learn from and to, and to realize that the song that I listen to every Sunday morning is uh, the love of God, the reckless raging fury. That we, I mean, that song wrecks me still. Like I am almost 41 years old. I have been listening to it since I was probably 14 or 15. And it, it doesn't get old because it's this guy saying like, I am, I am a disaster sometimes. And I need this reckless raging fury and it saves me. And it's just something about his honesty. You know what I like about the old school artists? They didn't hide behind the words him he like they were they said jesus they said god they weren't trying to be socially acceptable and they weren't trying to hide but i went to a concert i'm not gonna name the band but i went to a concert one time and they kept saying we believe in something more we believe in a higher power Mm -hmm. i was so frustrated i was literally at the back of the room and i yelled out just say jesus yeah (laughs) because we we, know what it is like at the end of the day like we worship an awesome, amazing God who is so faithful and so mm-hmm. full of mercy. I, I'm, I'm doing a study for my church right now, and we're going through it. And I, and I was talking the other day, I was talking about in Judges 2, 3, and 4, how Israelites kept failing and failing and failing. And what did God do? God heard their cries, sent them some, a new hero, a new hero, and a new hero. You know what I mean? And we need to have this faith where it's like, I'm going to proclaim the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's like the song by Disciple, The Name. Oh, I haven't heard that one. You want to hear that song. It is about proclaiming the name of Jesus. Um, it goes, I don't care if they tie me up in chains or whatever. I will proclaim the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. when you look at the old people like the Imperials, 
right? You have Rick Martin. Remember, I don't remember like Steve Green back in the day. Like these artists, they were just so on fire for Christ. They would just literally even just proclaim his name every song. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those old songs too, really, they taught me scripture. Yes. I, I was really blessed to have a mom and dad, my mom, especially my mom, like once she was in, she was in and she fell in love with God and she loved the Bible. Like she oh, loved yeah. the history of it. She made, I mean, she, this woman through seminary, she had three kids and my, like some of my earliest memories are just mom, like handing us a Bible in the car and being like, okay, quiz me on it. I've got to know all of John one. What is it? In the beginning was the word and the word was God. You know, and she just constantly quoted scripture to us over and over again. She loved it. And then these songs back in the eighties and nineties, seventies, would, would teach you scripture, like Nicole Nordman's first album. You listen to some of those songs and you're like, oh, I know the story of Nicodemus because I listened to a Nicole Nordman song. Yeah. And I loved their ability to do that and do it in a way where it was still good. It was really good music, but it also told you the story of your faith. You know what it is? Now, um, we were talking about RJ and I have had this conversation many times and um a lot of bands in the the difference between 90s bands and the 2010 20 bands what i'm finding is not all but a lot music they're they're, they're starting to, to make the switch music then ministry where before it was ministry then music now yeah. one of the reasons why disciple is one of my favorite bands is because of the fact that what they do Ever since they've came out, when they had printed CDs, if you all know, if you all remember those, <laughs> they actually put the script. Yeah, it's like what are those things? They would put the scripture of why they wrote the song. Like the song "Game On" is about King David. You know what I mean? It, yeah. How many times do you hear bands nowadays literally preach from this? Like Third Day said once in a concert. I know you guys came to see a rock concert, but you're here to see, you're here to see a church service as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about you growing up in the faith and kind of being introduced to that basically at birth. Um, yeah. But you also talked about how God, um, you know, spoke to your, your mother. Um, similarly for me, I was actually, uh, I became a Christian or, be, or walked into a church during a game of manhunt. Um, yeah. and, and so God reaches us at some of the weirdest times um, tell us a little bit about when your faith for you, uh, became real for you. Uh, you grew up in it, but when did you finally say, okay, I don't just believe this cause my mom anymore. This is for real. Yeah. So I feel like I have a lot of those, those moments that have, um, changed the trajectory of my faith life. Like it's grown it or deepened it or widened it. But the very first one I remember I was, it was eighth grade, which is pretty young um, but I mean, it was clear as day. Like I, I heard God talk to me. I was at a cheerleading camp actually. And, um, and I, um, and I was self-conscious and trying so hard to fit in and realizing like, oh, I'm not like the rest of these people. And I'm going to have to, I, I'm going to have to bend a lot of myself to be able to fit. And it was just like this voice clear as day that answered back. You can do that if you want to, but I have something for you if you follow me, but you can't follow both. I mean, it was clear as day and it messed me up. I went home and I was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Like I, I knew I had heard something in my head. Like that's how I always explain to students how you know if God is talking or not, because it's such a, 
I think sometimes we assume people know like, oh, yeah, I know what it means for God to talk to me. And they have no clue, especially today. A lot of our students just really don't. And so I always say to them, like, if there is a if there is a conversation playing out in your head, in your heart and your soul where you, like the the response on the other side is something that rubs up against you, something that you would not think of yourself, something that calls you outside of yourself, like nine times out of 10, you can trust that that's God's voice mm-hmm. out to you. Um, it's not a loud, booming out loud voice. It's just an internal dialogue where you're like, Oh, don't say that to me. I don't, I don't want, I don't want that on me. I don't want to hear that. Like get away. And that's how I felt. Um, and it, and it really became what pushed me through high school. I was at this huge Dallas, um, high school, I was a competitive cheerleader and I just, um, football was everything. Football players were everything and I wouldn't sleep around with anybody. And so I didn't get asked to parties and, um, and it was really lonely, honestly, but those are the years like I, I fell in love with God. Like I, I, it sounds cheesy. I don't know how else to say it without it sounding dorky, but, um, I, I learned God's voice and I, learned scripture and it, it just, it changed me so that when I got to college by my second year in college, we'd formed this band and jumped into ministry. And I, I felt like I could do that because all those years had prepared me for it, but those were not, um, they weren't easy years. They, they were these really isolating kind of lonely places to be as a, as a high schooler. But that's sort of when, for me, it became personal when I, when I realized, Oh, there, there is a God. He, apparently knows me and has something for me. And I don't know what that is. I have no idea what that looks like, but I think I want to try and find out. Yeah. That's a good segue. You mentioned, um, you know, going through that season and then uh, deciding to join the band. So mm-hmm. where did that come from? You know, what was the opportunity to start the band? Um, <laughs> you know, tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So uh Everybody in the band, we all went to Baylor University in Texas, and it was back in, um, it was 99 when I started, so it was like the height of, um, oh, what's the two guitar players' names? Um, they were at Texas A&M, oh my gosh, why can't I think of their their names? Um, anyways, in Texas, there were a lot of people doing music, so you had David Crowder, you had mm-hmm. the two AM guys that were always playing that I can't think of their names can drive me crazy. You had Caveman's Call. We were all Texas bands. Um, and and so the Texas sort of circuit of churches and youth ministry were always looking for these bands. And there was a guy at a, a coffee shop who had heard me sing like at an open mic. And he was like, do you have a band? And I said, no. And he's like, man, that's, that's too bad because I have a church and we're looking for um, somebody to come lead our disciple now weekend. And we really want a girl. We really want a female worship leader. And he was like, and I, you know, I have a thousand dollars. It's not enough to get any of the big names. And I was like, Oh yeah, I had like that kind of band. band, (laughs) Honestly, I heard the thousand dollars and I was like, uh, yeah, I was a broke sophomore in college (laughs) who loved to sing and love Christian music. And I was like, and I'm, I'm optimistic and stupid enough to be like, Oh yeah, I could, I can pull up a band. Like at that point I was that kid that had grown up in churches only singing to accompaniment tracks, you know, like the actual cassette oh. tape with side A oh, yeah. for alto <laughs> soprano. So um, I'd never played with a live instrument ever in my entire life. Um, and so I was like in this little choir. I was like, okay, I, I got to put together a band. So that's how we started. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. There are a lot of really good bands come from that area. You mentioned Crowder. 
Um, I think a digital age uh, after Crowder uh, was around. Was it Robbie? Is it Robbie Seaband? They were Robbie Seaband, yeah. Seaband, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Dave, is it? Is there a Dave? Dave and Dave, Dave, Dave. Ah, it's gonna drive me. I'm trying to think about it too. Okay, yeah, we'll get there. It's not. It's a two name. (laughs) Is is it a two name band? It's like. It is. It's like two guys. Ah. It's not I mean, Shane and Shane, right? No, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> it was very close to Dave. It's, it was, the, it's the same name. To your credit, it was still a very American name. Dave and Shane. It's also that other Brad and da- Brad and Dave and, and Shane and Shane. Oh, man. Yeah, Shane and Shane. Sorry, guys. Okay. No, Shane and Shane was great too. I remember. So I grew up again. I didn't get into Christian music till about ninety eight, and mm-hmm. I did the CCM route until I discovered that you can scream Jesus's name too. And so then I got into like spoken and uh, okay. the harder bands. But I was yeah. listening to David Crowder hardcore. Uh, Shane and Shane and David Crowder, I think, did a lot of stuff together. Yeah. Um, I ended up seeing them in the early two thousands. I actually went down to DC for um, a DCLA, DCLA conference. Um, yeah, it was great. It was. I think that was like 06 or something. It was Crowder. Super Chick, um, uh, Jeremy Camp, some really, really good, good bands. But Shane and Shane, so, actually, one of the Shane and Shane people actually married Bethany Dillon. Yep. Oh yeah, I remember Bethany Dillon. She was good. Sorry, it's I'm hitting a fly. There's a fly over here. But, um, <laughs> RJ, yeah, RJ Bethany Tourette's. So sometimes I might just stuck. <laughs> Bethany <laughs> Dillon was actually at DCLA as well. Um, she was very good. Um, Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so you you get the opportunity, uh, a very uh, healthy paycheck, I guess, for your first uh, first opportunity. So uh, how did that lock into being okay? I want to do this full time. You know, I think I had always I had always loved music. Um, truth be told, like I I am not the best musician at all. Like if there are a hundred musicians in the room, I'm at the very, very, very bottom. I don't read music. I don't play music. I have like a very limited range. I mean, I can sing about 12 notes really good, but get me out of that. And I'm just like, I'm done for. Um, but I, you know, I loved being on stage and I loved people. Like I just loved connecting with people and especially like loved um praying with people and in the early days it was so much it was so much ministry so it was um constantly just talking to students and teenagers and so we were doing that in college and we just we loved it and as a band we sort of came to this place where we were like okay we think we could do this but we're not sure and everybody else is getting real jobs you know they're all they're all graduating from this private expensive baptist college and going to pay off their school debt can we really be in a band? And so we gave ourselves like a two year mark. Like we'll give ourselves two years to sign a record deal. And if we don't get a deal before, like in that time, then we'll call it quits and we'll go be grownups. Um, and in that time we led worship at a church in Dallas and we flew back and forth to lead worship for centrifuge camps through Lifeway. And, and we just toured heavy, heavy, heavy. And we loved it. We loved each other. We loved the ministry. We loved writing music. And literally a week before the two years was about to come to a close, we got an email from Brad O'Donnell, who was at Sparrow at the time. And he was like, "Uh, I've been following you for years. I think he had just signed Crowder or Shane and Shane, one of them. Um, And he he offered to fly us out and, um, and do a showcase for us. So that's where it that's where it became plausible. Um, just for it to actually happen. 
but there was just something special about the five of us together. Um, we, we loved what we were doing and we knew we were supposed to be doing it, you know? And so, um, I, I, we should have known that that was going to happen. I don't know that I had much faith that it was, um, but it was where we were supposed to be. So you get signed to I know records, which turns into fair trade records. Um, I view I know records like the 2000 version of forefront records. Okay. And what I mean by that is in the nineties, you had forefront records. You had a lot of big artists. You had audio, the audio journal and they had Rebecca St. James. They had skillet. They had bleach, you know, Mm -hmm. DC talk and all the DC talk, you know, um, independent, um, solo albums. Right. But then you had, I know records, which had disciple. They had you guys at Todd Agnew, they had Anthony Evans. They had Flyleaf. They had Gateway Worship. Mark had like that. So many. The um, Jonas Brothers later on. <laughs> they they were on, they were on there. Jonas Brothers, yeah, they were uh, at some wow. point. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But that's something every day. But did you realize the <laughs> how awesome it was? You the, the the position God was putting you in. Like that label was huge. Yeah, it it was huge. Um. Yeah, I think we we did. Um, and and sadly, like our our band story ended in such we not in bad relationships. We we love each other. We just had um, blow after blow after blow. And I remember back in those days, people saying um, it was actually twofold. People would either be like, "Oh, maybe God wants you to do something else, so He's trying to give you a sign to get out." But more more than that, people were like your ministry is, is powerful and effective and it's, it's trying to be shut down over and over again. And so I, I did carry that, that sense with us that it was, um, right before we signed, we had been out on this tour with, um, uh, this organization called planet wisdom. And there was these big student conferences for like a 1, thousand, 1500 kids. And the band before us had been mercy me and mercy me went on to sign with INO and um and and so bart and um some of those guys were real big advocates of the band and as it as it was coming to pass yeah i was like oh my gosh we are we're in this place with these people that i have yeah for me it was always so different than just um like getting a record deal or like I love that we're having this conversation, Michael, especially you knowing that you grew up with this like deep attachment to this music. This music saved me. I mean, it, 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 music meets people in places that nothing else can like no pastor can go sit with you in the closet while you're having to come apart or at your husband and wife's bedside while they're dying or, you know, whatever it is like people that would come up to me and say, you know, I listened to your music while I was getting mammograms, while I was getting MRIs, why my, my husband wanted to hear this, you know, what do I know of holy as he was dying? Like music goes in places that no other human can. And I had known that. And like, I had loved that. And it had just saved my soul and helped me know God and believe and just have hope in some really dark times in my life. And so when I got to be in those same shoes, it felt very, for me, it felt like, this holy responsibility, like, oh my gosh, I get to put these songs out there that I never, I won't ever know the ways they show up in people's lives. But here I am 41 years old and I still sing Amy Grant from 1980, you know? <laughs> so, Yep. Mike, I think you're uh, muted. So 
I do have a question for you because, like, I love what you said. Like, you feel the res- it's almost like you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong here, I want to put words in your mouth, but you actually feel the responsibility of what your mission as an artist is. Because a lot of times, like, I really feel when artists understand that what they write is so important. Yes, it's going, it's, it's about you and how you're going through life, but mm-hmm. people are actually going to read these lyrics and they're going to connect with these lyrics. I remember my mom passed away a year ago in June and she was um, an amazing, amazing woman of God. Mm-hmm. You know, she had a kingdom mindset. What I mean by that is when she was here on earth, she wasn't thinking about being here on earth. She was thinking, who can I take with me to heaven? Yeah. On her deathbed, a week before she died, she was witnessing to her nurse who came to church the next week. Um, you know what I mean? She yeah. wasn't scared of dying at all. <laughs> I remember when she was dying, and there was a song by Skillet called Not Gonna Die. It says, I'm not gonna die. I'm not gonna die tonight. We're gonna stand and live forever. Mm. And it may not have nothing to do with my mom dying, but I remember <laughs> I remember crying on the riding lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> All my neighbors are watching. Now I'm just going to- <laughs> you are sensitive. Oh, oh my god! See, RJ, I am sensitive. But I remember, like, lyrics have such a strong impact. And like, some of my favorite bands, the reason I love them has nothing to do with their music. It is everything to do with their lyrics and how they always point you to Jesus. Like, no matter what you're going through in life, yeah. I feel like an artist is is their responsibility is to be real with you, but at the same time to point you back to Jesus. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you know, I think the, I I would be the first, I could, I could give you a a rap sheet of things that are wrong with our industry. Sure. (laughs) That are gross and dirty that make you feel like you are selling God or so, you know, like I have lots of issues, but I will also say just unexpectedly, our our record our a and r guy at, at i know his name is james ruger and he signed so many good bands and so many good albums and i remember early on him saying um you need to write a song that an 80 year old can hear and an eight-year-old can hear and they all meant to that amen to that yeah and and at first you know i think when you're young and you're arrogant <laughs> You hear that and you're like, no, my art is, my art is so special. Like, I'm not going to write something that some 80 year old dude could like, and an eight year old could like. And and I think maybe some people interpret that as like, you're, you're trying to water it down or you're trying to, um, they're, they're wanting you to be something you're not so that everybody can, can hear your music. And I'm like, right. So everybody can hear your music. Mm -hmm. Many of us are getting rich, but because if you, carry with you this idea that your words have power. They have the power to send somebody in depression or into a rage or into a sexual fling or into the arms of God for comfort and wisdom. Like words have power. Oh yeah. They are written or spoken or sung. And so, yeah, for me, it was always like when, when he said that I, I think initially I probably pushed back like, Oh no, no, we write music for this, this demographic for Mm -hmm. these people. And then I started realizing, no, like, what is it? What's the harder to do to write a song for this tiny demographic or to think, how can I say this thing that I want to say in a way that this person can hear it and that person can hear it and an 80 year old can hear it and an eight year old can hear it. 
and they can all draw something from it. And, and for me, that became actually really important to put my own artistry down in order to write something that was accessible to more people. You know, I, and I kind of want to take it to another level. And, and I, I literally, this verse literally just came to my mind. And I think as an artist, you know, you have such a responsibility because you're ministering to people through your words, through your actions. I keep thinking of the verse in Matthew says, what comes, what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. Yeah. And I realize I'm just thinking that first must, it's, it's, it's an important verse in general. Mm-hmm. But to me, that verse must speak volumes in the Christian music industry because what you're writing is is really telling of what's in your heart. Yeah. And as I'm not saying that artists have to be fake, but mm-hmm. there's something you said about being real, but at the same time, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a way with that. It's like, yes, you're being real, but you also have to be writing. It's very, this is very trans. It's just transparent, I guess right. is the word here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love how you, oh, yeah, no, you go. go ahead, RJ. No, uh, no, it's okay. I don't want to interrupt the, the flow. What do you, <laughs> well, I was just thinking uh, like for, for us as parents, right? Like, I think what you're saying um, reminds me of the fact that like, we want to be truthful with our kids yes, and transparent with our kids. And yet we also can't just give it to them like they're adults. Like the, the yes. we tell you yes. something or you something, I can't give it to my five-year-old in the same way. I have to give it to her in a way that she can hear. And that doesn't take away my privileges or freedoms as an adult, because I can still communicate that to you in a different way. So it, so it, and it reminds me of the verses about Paul where like, just because you have a freedom doesn't mean that you get to use it. Like if, if your freedom, if your right causes somebody else to suffer or fall, if I'm going to a party and I like wine, but all the people there are alcoholics, I'm not going to drink. Amen to that. You know, like I'm just, I'm not going to. So, so if, if my, um, if my commitment to my own artistry causes somebody else to not be able to hear a song, it doesn't train, it can't translate then I'm serving myself and I'm not serving people. And that's exactly what it is. Right. And for me, music was to serve people. It was Mm -hmm. to put something out there that caused somebody else to open their eyes and, and realize that maybe God was real. There was hope out there and that they could engage it in a way that they hadn't before. I love how you said the verse. And I, I talked to people about this many times, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. So, so many times because we don't want, just because we can do something, mm-hmm. it could cause someone else to fall. Perfect example. I remember when we were in our immature 20s. I'm a, I'm a guy, so we mature much later than a woman, you know. Anyway, <laughs> we all went out to uh, Uno's restaurant, and there's one guy who was a recovering drink alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And I go, we should not be drinking in front of this kid. He's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So we all ordered a drink. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, he relapsed. Oh. You know, and we say to ourselves, and now you're looking back, you're like, just because we as people can have the liberty to do something doesn't mean we should at that moment. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, and we're, and we're, that's what we're all living right now with yeah. masks and COVID and vaccines. And, you know, our church is just like every other church going through the mask debate. But, you know, we had some, some of our adult leaders didn't want to wear their masks anymore. And, and our response was like, these kids still have to wear it. Like they, they don't have an option right now. Like they're, they're all having to wear these things. And so do we have to No. are we going to get it? You know, well, now it's all different. <laughs> Who knows if we'll get it. Yeah. You know, three, four months ago, we were under the impression that once you got this vaccine that you were, you were okay, you know? And so it was like, oh yeah, we don't have to do that anymore. And yet my five-year-old does, you know, or my, my 10-year-old does. And so I wear mine with them, not because I have to, but because I want, I want to be in solidarity with them. I want to support them because they're weaker than me and they're, they're not in that position of, of privilege or power that I'm in. And so to me, it's important as their mom to be like, yeah, I'll be with you in this. I think that's great. And I think that's one of the most Christian things that you're talking about is like being selfless. Yeah. We look like we look at Christ. Christ didn't have to die on the cross, but he did because he wanted to. He wanted us to be with him in eternity. That was probably the most selfless act. And I love when I hear Christians say, you know, so I don't have to do this, but I want to do this for such and such reasons. Yeah. You know, and when you when you have that solid that solidarity or you have that selfless attitude, that speaks that those actions right there speak volumes. I love it. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, thank you. thank you. Yeah, over the years, well, in this episode, you mentioned how, you know, you feel as though God, um, you know, there wasn't just one moment in which you became serious about God. It was just this, these kind of different moments throughout your life that either widened or deepened mm -hmm. uh, your faith or your relationship with him. For me, you know, very similarly, I really like that you said that because yeah, there was the time that I became a Christian in 1998, you know, listening to 90s Christian music, you know, at a, <laughs> right. uh, a youth conference or whatever. Um, but then there was, you know, 2004, 2005, when I'm getting into ministry and doing music myself. And then 2008, when I get married and, um, you know, 2008 just happens to coincide also with uh, your album coming out, uh, Addison Road. Yeah. Um, and that's when I first got introduced to you guys. So I'm a latecomer to Addison Road. <laughs> it was 2008 or so. It was your first, I think, CD on uh, INO. Okay. Um, and uh, probably what you were talking about earlier with the song, uh, What Do I Know of Holy? Mm -hmm. Not sure if that was one of the songs you had to write for both people. Um, but What Do I Know of Holy was, was huge mm -hmm. um, in my life. And for a lot of people who I was friends with at the time, uh, for that very reason that that I had thought I knew God, thought I was very close, and then he changes things up or situations change things up. And 2008 was a very lonely time for me, uh, moving to a new place, moving to a new church, moving to a new ministry, um, and having to try to become what they needed there uh, as a youth pastor, as a music pastor, as whatever. Um, and what do I know of Holy was big at that time uh, throughout our circle. Um, and so that song, like you said, you may not know it and you and I don't know each other prior to, you know, the last couple months here, but that song was, was powerful many times of listening to that song in a car uh, on the way to church or on the way back from church or when youth group had two kids show up one week and 40 the next and, you know, for yeah. the next. Um, and so just hearing, you know, those lyrics. Um, uh, so that's how I got introduced to mm -hmm. Addison road. Um, and I can tell you in the small area of Southern or, or, or central Massachusetts, um, you know, you reached, uh, quite a, a few people mm -hmm. with those lyrics. Um, mm -hmm. you know, tell us a little bit about, 
you guys have been together, I think, at that point, almost eight years, probably, or seven years or something like that. And now you have this album come out on INO. Um, it's in the Billboard 200. Um, you've got a, a number of great songs off of that with All That Matters, Hope Now. Uh, I like This Could Be Our Day. We were just listening to that on the way uh, back from, uh, we went to uh, uh, Mystic Village in Connecticut today. Um and so we were listening to This Could Be Our Day on the Way Home. And um, you had two singles off of that. There were the ninth and 15th most played songs uh, for 2008 on uh, contemporary Christian music. Um, so just a lot of really cool stuff happening, seemingly o- over six, seven years of hard work. How did you feel during that time? What was the atmosphere in the band like during that time? Oh, gosh. It was, um, I mean, we were living. we were living a dream, you know? We were doing what we love to do and we were really um for that for that album in particular when we signed the record deal we signed with um our the publishing house at the same time and part of the agreement was that we would go we would spend a year in co-writing sessions through the publishing house and we had this guy named mark nicholas he was he was our publisher all throughout our years um he was a big publisher for a lot of people and um and he really pushed us hard i mean we wrote a hundred songs for that album and then we ended up just being out 10 um but he he pushed us theologically he pushed us interpersonally he was like a therapist i mean i i think we actually went to group therapy at that point (laughs) as a band there's a therapist here in nashville a place called porter's call i don't know if that's ever come up in any of your conversations before, but the, the guy that, that used to run it, it started, his name is Al Andrews. He's a saint. He is beloved by Christian musicians all over because he saved all of us. Um, and he just went to Sparrow and he was like, Hey, your artists are struggling. Like they, they all need to be in therapy. They can't afford it. And their schedules are crazy and you should underwrite therapy for all of them. And they did it. And he kept getting the record labels began to underwrite Porter's call. And so I guarantee you, you ask anybody that's been here in Nashville and they've seen Al Andrews. And and that was part of our songwriting was to go oh. have sessions with him and to go. And so we were growing. We were um, having our butts kicked a little bit by it being in this town and being with such amazing. I mean, you talk about being a fan and then walking in and them saying, hey, today your co-writes with Cindy Morgan first. And then in the afternoon, you're going to be with Steve Mason and Dan Hasseltine. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay. Nice. Ah! <laughs> yes. Have you ever had a moment where you were starstruck? Absolutely. So, yes. Well, we were recording that album, that first album, just the self-titled Addison Road. Um, our producer, Chris Stevens, knew I was I mean, I was like your die hard DC talk girl. It's so embarrassing. Um, and so he arranged for Kev, uh, not Kevin, for Toby to come to the studio without me knowing his. Oh my gosh. In the house. Nice. And so I'm back in the sound room, like this, you know, the vocal room. And there's no windows or anything in there, like a normal studio, because it's like you're in different bedrooms. Um, and all of a sudden in my ears, I hear this voice and I was like, oh, my gosh. And he's like, yo, I hear you're a big fan. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and I would have peed my pants literally at that moment. <laughs> Not to be gross, but let's just be honest. Um, he starts rapping and then stops and lets me like fill in the blanks. And I just, oh, my <laughs> So um, I I didn't live that one down. That was I was pretty yeah. So I start, but I was starstruck by him. I was 
um, Stephen Curtis Chapman is like my, besides Rich Mullins, like his lyrics probably spoke to me the most and moved me the most. And so he's always mm-hmm. been the one for me that I'm like, I, I really can't talk to you. Like, I'd rather not. I just, just let's just keep it this way, please. I don't want to know you. I don't want to be introduced. Let's. Oh, I, the, uh, his story is amazing. What happened with his daughter and his son and how he will, the way he handled that with his son, at least in the public eye yeah. was I imagine your son accidentally killing your, your daughter. Mm-mm. And the way he handled that was unbelievable. I mean, yeah. To say I've already lost one kid tonight. I'm not going to lose the next one. When you go <sighs> after him, I'm like, if that's not the prodigal son, right there in real life like this is what it looks like for a father to chase down a kid and and to bring him back i I just think of jesus right there i just think of jesus and his love for us right there yep like i think of the i think of the sheep yeah like um Mm. to go find the one lost one yes yeah Yeah. find that one lost sheep i Anyway, I don't even get bunny trail, but man. <laughs> no, I love it. And you know, that for me, that's been one of the most beautiful parts of the journey that I went through in this industry was, you know, there are a few people that you're like, eh, that mm, you are, you are not what you present on stage. But uh, I mean, 95% of these people, you meet them and you think, my gosh, you are as good <laughs> of a human as you are, like, this is actually who you are. You're like, you're a good man. You're a good dad. You're a good mm. husband. You're mm. a good mom. Um, I remember one of my first shows with my daughter, I was at this huge outdoor amphitheater in Houston, and it was Natalie Grant. And, the- and I was having a come apart backstage because I was like, I don't know how to do this. I was trying to breastfeed and get on stage. <laughs> and I mean, just... It was awful. And I, I mean, five weeks, I was on the road on the rock and worship road show with mercy me and Jeremy camp until April uh, 3rd. She was born April 15th and I did spirit West coast May May 15th. So I was home five weeks after a C-section and then got on a plane with a baby after a C-section. Yeah. That is nuts. (laughs) But you know, I I only say this. My wife had two C-sections. I know how painful and debilitating they can be. It was awful. What? Yeah, and it, I, I think that's the part that you know that people don't realize for female lead singers. Once you know, I, there was so much pressure for me because I was like, if as long as I'm off, as long as I'm out, I'm putting like 15 people out of work, you know. Mm. And so the pressure, not by maybe other people, but for myself to yeah. get in and keep going, because I knew I, I knew the cost it was taking, and so I just put her on a plane and went. And it kicked my butt. I mean, it was so hard. Um, and it was, as she got older, I loved it because she got to see all over the country and meet the m- most amazing, kindest people. Um, but initially, it was so hard. And Natalie found me in my green room, like, bawling. And she was like, she looked at me and she, like, literally put her hands on my shoulders. And she said, did God call you to be a mother? And I said, yep. And she said, did God call you to get on that stage and open your mo- in your voice? And I said, yes. And she said, God does not contradict himself. So God, she said, so God will give you what you need to live out both because if he's called you to both, he will prepare a way for you to do both. And she was like, you remember that he does not contradict himself. And so there will be a way. And you know, that's amazing. So good. Like God used her at that exact moment to say exactly what he wanted you to hear. Yep. Holy crap. 
Yes, exactly. And that, and that's the beauty for me of this industry is like these people are, they actually believe what they get up there and sing and say for the most part, I can't say that, you know, for every single person, but gosh, they're just, they're just good. So it, it still gives me chills hearing stories like this. Like yeah. when I hear, I love when I hear Christian artists talk about their faith. It literally, this is why I love, we started this podcast. I love talking about faith. I love talking about all the history of music and all the history of everything, everything. I love hearing people pour out their faith and talk about how good God is and what he's done in their life. Because in a world that we live in today where everything is so negative, everything is so political, we've, we've always needed Christ. We've always have. But there are times you say to yourself, now there's sometimes we say to ourselves, if we ever needed God, it'd be right now. Now we always need God, but <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like yeah. with this crazy world we live in, it's yeah. so refreshing to hear people just say, you know, I love God, and God's done amazing works in my life. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I see, Mike. I'm glad you looked at it that way. I looked at it the opposite way, where I am having to hear that Jenny was spoken to God through Natalie Grant. And all I got was Anthony from central Massachusetts, some guy speaking to me. Like, why can't God use someone famous to speak to me too? I feel like, like she literally is like, God spoke to me through Natalie Grant and Toby Mac. And I'm like, oh, it was John from Rhode Island. Like, oh, well, listen, God spoke to me through my, I'm Italian, right? So I grew up in an Italian family. <laughs> Italian families, you know, they have the, uh, the leather belt. So <laughs> I had, do you like Jesus? No. Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll take John from Rhode Island. Whatever. <laughs> I'll take John from Rhode Island. Okay, uh, can I tell you one more? So my favorite God story, though. I love these stories. Keep going. I, I have a lot of, but this is like my favorite, like the kindest thing I think that God has ever done. So um, my, I just today I had a baby shower for my little sister who's having her sixth baby girl. Sixth. Congratulations, maybe. I know. Yes. Yeah. So well, I have two sisters and together we have 12 daughters, but Holy so, cow. Um, in 2014, she had two little girls um, who both died at birth, um, Maggie Ooh. and Ellen. And we were, we kind of, we kind of like, it was sort of 50, 50 on whether they were going to make it or not. Um, and it was, it was, I mean, it was awful. I was there for labor and delivery. I got, I got there and the doctor was like, you, he was like, are you the sister? And I said, yeah. And he said, you got to go in there and she has to push because if she doesn't, she's going to die. So somebody's going to die today. And we think it's you know going to be the girls, but she, she has to have these babies. And it was just very, I mean, obviously just heart wrenching. And so the next day when the funeral home finally came and got and they had, the girls had been with us all through the night because Sarah didn't want to leave them. And, I mean, it, it was, it was traumatic on every level. Um, she finally, she finally started kind of having a little bit of a meltdown and, um, and we were trying to plan the funeral for the girls. And, um, and, and we had reached out to several music ministers. Her husband was a pastor in Oklahoma and they were like, we can't do it. Like, we don't think we can get through the service because they were so close to him. They didn't think they could come and lead worship. And so she was having this meltdown and like, who's going to do their funeral? I mean, she just like really lost it. And I said, okay, we're thinking too small. These people are too close They're They can't do it. So we got to think bigger, like outside of, of your area here. You know, if you could have anybody else do it, who would you want? She goes, fine. I want Matt Marr. 
And I was like, oh yeah, but no, no, not Matt Mar. <laughs> Anybody besides Matt Mar and Matt and Kristen are some of my best friends. And I had the day before had been at their house for their little girl's birthday. And Matt left the birthday party on a bus with Toby to do an East Coast. Uh, they did an East Coast tour together. Matt Mar and Toby did this acoustic tour. And um, and so I knew he wasn't near Oklahoma City. And um, and so I said, well, he can't do it. So who else? I'm, you know, let's think of just other. And she said, no, you said anybody. And that's who I want. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm opening my computer to show her the tour schedule. And I look at it and he's got a, a tour date for Ponca City, Oklahoma. And I was like, what? So it's like East Coast, East Coast, East Coast, East Coast, Ponca City, East Coast, East Coast, East Coast. And so I called him and I was like, hey, are you? are you in Ponca city in five, in five days, Ponca city in five days. And he was like, yeah, annoyingly, I signed up to do this radio station's birthday party two years ago and I couldn't get out of the contract. And so I've got to leave the East coast tour and come over to Ponca city and do this show. And then I can fly back. And I was like, can you do my sister's baby's funeral? <laughs> um, and he did. And it, um, like to hear, uh, to, just to have a whole family of ministers, my brother-in-law's a pastor, my dad's a um, brigadier general chaplain in the military, my whole family is ministers, pastors. Um, and that's a hard crew to, to minister to, to worship to, and um, to walk people through the death of two little girls. And Matt just got up there and he sang that part, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your and Christ is risen wow. and saying your grace is enough and great is thy faithfulness. And it just was like the, like I still get emotional thinking about it because it was the kindest, just the kindest, like you, that to me, you can't make that stuff up. You know, you just wow. can't. When I was, uh, I, I actually have a, a story very similar to yours. We had a, uh, we weren't even friends with this couple, but my wife became friends and she found out she had cancer. She was also pregnant and the doctor said to her, you have to choose either you or your baby. So she decided she was going to die. Oh. Oh, hold on. Let's get chills for a second. Yeah. Um, and that was not for dramatic effect, by the way. <laughs> I really get chills. No, you're sensitive. Oh, right. <laughs> Me too. Oh. I'm over here crying. So I, I have water over here. Hold on. <laughs> um no but um what happened was you had to choose either you go on chemo and live or you forgo or forego chemo and you die so my wife became friends with her because my wife has the one thing i love about my wife besides being beautiful and everything else is her heart for christ she's like, I'm going to go serve this woman. I'm going to go tell, I'm going to go take care of her because the husband had to work during the day. So yeah. she's like, I'm going to go take care of her son a few days a week and just be there. And we just, we just had a baby. So my wife, where my wife's only, my, our baby's only, it's just still in a carrier. Wow. So the wife, long story short, end up passing away mm. about a month after the baby was born. Mm. But you, but I look at that and I say, that's probably the most Christ-like story I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Sacrificing your love, your your life, so you can live. Yeah. Mm. But, it, but it made me think of it when you just talked about that story. Yeah. 
it's one of those things where you don't understand those stories until you become a parent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, you know, right now, especially the world feels dark. (laughs) It feels dark and hopeless and like, oh my gosh, what is happening? But for me, like if I can keep telling those stories over Mm. and over again, because that's not just your friend and my sister. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who are experiencing mercy and love and grace and are selfless. And like, if you, if you really start looking around, it's easy to get overwhelmed by the the darkness and the heaviness, but my gosh, there's a lot of good. You know, Christ is so much more powerful than the darkness. Absolutely. It's it's there. Yeah. Like we look at all this darkness and what's that skillet song? Your light will, you go, your light will terrify the dark. Mm, Yep. You know, we live in this world where we are bombarded with, let's face it, negative cells, negative topics sell. You rarely ever hear a positive topic because we want to hear, like I remember years ago when Miley Cyrus did something on the, on the, it was, she was twerking or something like that and MTV movie awards. And I was, I was disgusted Mm -hmm. and people were disgusted by it. But I remember CNN, CNN, all people said, Yes, we we honestly we put this on there because that's what makes the most money. Yikes. Yeah. We live in a society where to be honest with you, I'm just gonna say this, this is this is totally off topic, but I've never seen Satan as much it, it works mm. as much as I have in the past few years. Yep. We need our light to shine more and more and more. Christ is such an amazing, mm-hmm. awesome God. His light will outshine because we, we got to remember if Christ is for us, no one in the world can be against us. Yeah. Yeah. We need to like your stories that of, of how Christ shines. Mm-hmm. We need to yeah. with our actions, get our, we are the hands and we need to be the hands and feet of Christ yeah. and get out there, get dirty and let our light pierce through that darkness. Mm-hmm. Now, not to uh, there. There's been. I feel like there's so much more to talk about. Uh, you know, we haven't even. This is going to be a. No, we need to have series. you for. We need um, to have you for podcast yeah. number two. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, we would love to have you back. Um, <laughs> and, and so I don't want to. Pin, I don't want to try to fit the nine things or so we had left into into the last <laughs> couple minutes here. But um, I do want to bring up the fact that obviously Addison Road was not the last thing you did. Um, yeah. You went on to do some solo projects after that. Mm-hmm. Um, you went on to do, I think, three books. Correct me if I'm wrong. Three yeah. uh, full books. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I wanted to just discuss a little bit about the transition mm-hmm. um, from music to uh, writing. Um, and obviously, there's writing and music too, so that's not right. that big of a stretch. But um, you know, what what brought you from the music to the writing, um, and and how did you go about kind of picking those topics? um, to spend time writing about? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because, um, for me, I'd never thought about writing a book. I love to write. I did journalism growing up and did little family newspapers when I was little. So I've always loved to write, (laughs) but I just never thought about writing a book. And what I realized after the band ended and I, you know, I know picked me up for a solo album and then I did another solo album independently. I hated it. I was like, Oh my gosh, I feel naked. I did not want to be up there, just me and like two people. My voice wasn't strong enough to carry. 
Um, I, I was vocally tired all the time. The music part stressed me out. Like I was just like, oh my gosh. What I loved was being with people, listening to people, ministering to people and teaching the Bible and telling stories. Like I just, I, I love the Bible. Um, I, I'm also a fierce critic of the Bible. I, I pick it apart and dissect it and read it and study it. And um, so I'm not just like a... Yeah, I'm a very nuanced Bible lover, but um, I what I realized at the end of the night was that was the part that brought me joy, and that was the part that the next day after, like in a conference, the women would come back and be like, "I told my husband that story about da da da." I told it wasn't like the music. I mean, it was, but they were like that one story you told, and enough people started saying, "You should, you got to write that in a book. You have to write that in the book." And I was, you know, the end of Addison Road was for me a, a spiritual journey I did not anticipate. It, um, it ended so painfully, like just the blows that we took as a band that I felt utterly disoriented. I mean, it was very bizarre to have songs that were like a number one hit on radio, or we were getting airplay every single week on heavy rotation and knowing that behind the scenes we were bankrupt, that the IRS had seized our bank account because we were so far behind on tax payments that we had lost everything. We could not keep our head above water. Um, that was very, and then to wake up one day and be like, wait a minute, I, I've been this thing for 11 years now. Now what am I like? What do I do? Where do I go? I did not have any answers. Um, and so I lived that out on stage for better or worse. You know, I would sort of process and be like, I trust God. I know God is faithful. I know God, you know, my favorite scripture of all Bible is Isaiah 43. I love the whole passage, but it says, you know, fear not. I'm the Lord, your God, the Holy one of Israel. I've called you by name and you are mine. So when you walk through the waters, they will not sweep over you. You won't drown. When you go through the fires, they won't burn you up. Um, and then he goes on to say, I'm doing a new thing. Do not perceive it. I'm making a way in the wasteland and bringing streams into the desert. And, and so I knew like in my deepest soul, like God shows up in deserts and brings streams, but I don't want a freaking stream. I want a waterfall or a river, or like a clear sign like this whole tomorrow. He'll give you what you need. I'm like, I don't want what I need tomorrow. I want all of it now. Like I need yeah. an answer and a blueprint. And it really, I realized like, Oh, faith for people that are in suffering or transition or grief or change sucks. Like mm. the other stuff is easy. This is hard. This is faith. And I don't like it. And I started wrestling yeah. with it. And, um, speaking it out loud and realizing a lot of other people were feeling the same thing, you know, and they needed somebody to say, Hey, it's okay actually to not have it figured out. It's okay to say, I believe God, I trust God. And also I feel abandoned because even Jesus felt abandoned, you know, even Jesus wow. cried out on the cross. Wow. Why have you forsaken me? And so I really wanted to give a voice to that. And that's where the writing took off from. You know, you wow. mentioned that, um, you, you mentioned that, with Aston Road, you there was pretty much went through hell on earth, a lot of things. Yes. So looking back now, a lot of times hindsight's twenty twenty. A lot of times we don't even know what God sometimes we don't know God's plan for years later. Yeah. And that, that can be kind of frustrating because we want like you said, we want to we want our human nature is God, I don't want to know tomorrow. I want to know right now what your plan is. Right. Like don't waste my yeah. time. In reality, God's never wasting our time. Right. Like what like our time and God's time is very, very different. Yeah. So sometimes we think God's wasting our time with these little things going on. And yeah. in reality, 
he, and if anything, he's fulfilling that time with his purpose. Yeah. So looking back mm-hmm. at Addison Road, now that you're removed from the situation, what was what was your purpose in Addison? Why did what did what was God's mission for you in Addison Road? Hmm. I know it's kind of a deep question, but as you're talking, I've actually never asked an artist that question. But as you were talking, I was really like, huh. I don't know. I, I that question just came to me. It's like, what do you think your purpose was? I I think my my purpose, like I can't talk for the whole band, but I think my purpose was um, was to be was to be real about God, to wrestle mm-hmm. with God. I, I've never had a a real glossy faith. Well, like I just said, and I'll say things and be like, oh gosh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Bible critic, but I'm a Bible critic, and I'm a doubter, and I'm a I'm like your I'm like your Thomas or Nicodemus or whoever in the Bible. I shouldn't be as hard headed as I am, but I am. I have a lot of questions and a lot of issues and a lot of one of the reasons I went to seminary because I was like, dang it, I'm going to learn Greek and Hebrew because this is pissing me off to not know. <laughs> I have a lot of big questions here and we're going to get to the bottom of it. Um, and I think people needed that. I, I think there um, there is always a need for the for a prophetic voice and a prophetic voice calls out what it loves you know so the the people in the old testament who call out the kings and israel it's not because they didn't like israel or they weren't <laughs> they weren't advocates of yahweh or they weren't lovers of it they, they loved it so much they called it out and and they and they asked people to be honest about it and so for me um the the music was a part of people's spiritual journeys i think i hope um, but I think what I was able to do on stage and, and the teaching opportunities around that and just the opportunity to be real and transparent. I love that. Was what I felt called to do. We actually had someone awesome. on recently who, um, this is how God works. <laughs> so we started the podcast. Hey, how's it going? And he goes, um, I'm not a Christian anymore. So I go, all right, let's start this podcast. Let's do it. <laughs> and but, but what happened was it was one of the most intense podcasts we've done because he went into how his friend just killed himself and he was really questioning his faith. Yeah. And um, it was amazing because he might not, he might not have considered himself a Christian, but he never actually left the faith what he was doing was seeking help and trying to find direction from what Christ wanted to him to go and do. And uh, you yeah. said it at the beginning of the podcast. I think we need more Christians to be like, Hey, listen, I don't have it all together yeah. and don't look yeah. to me for an answer. Look to Christ together. We should look to Christ for an answer yeah. together. We're going to pray together together. We're going to, navigate together through this world the -hmm. christian faith was never meant to do it by yourself yeah exactly so yeah amen to that amen to that i I just preached on that last sunday or two sundays ago and and it reminds me too of um uh, like i i I won't get on a tangent because i know we're out of time but if there is a downfall to the Christian church that worries me the most, it is the idolization of people, the celebrity culture that has taken preachers and preachers and sneakers <laughs> that's taken hold of pastors and the, in the CCM world and in the worships. I mean, 
as long as we are elevating people to that, to that status one, it, it alleviates normal people of having to do their own work. You don't yes. have to work if somebody else is doing it on your behalf. Um, but also it sets the people up on stage for failure and it, it makes this power dynamic. That's like, here's who you should follow. You just follow. Or like when we were kids, right. You were saying the belt, when you're taught just through compliance, just don't ask any questions. Just do what I say. Yes. You don't learn anything. You learn to be good so that you don't get in trouble, but you don't learn because you actually got to question or push through things or explore. You learned from coercion, you know? And, mm -hmm. um, and so there's, there's a difference between learning because somebody's just saying, don't ask any questions. Just listen to what I tell you versus hey, listen to what I'm telling you. And also check in with other people and by the way, check in with God because God speaks to you directly. So, 100%. And when people actually put those people on idols, when people put people on these um, pedestals, mm -hmm. I, I knew a church once where they put the pastor on a pedestal and pastor had a huge meltdown spiritually. And guess what? A lot of people who had him on that pedestal, they went away too. Yeah. Because they put their faith in the wrong thing. Like right. when we essentially put our faith in Christ on the solid rock, and that's where we find our help. That's where we will find our um, salvation. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I, I can go. I can go on a tangent too. I, I trust me. I'm hearing you. <laughs> well, just a couple of last things before we let you go. Thank you again for taking your time to speak with us. Um, awesome. Again, you've written a number of books on uh, kind of the topics that we're talking about now, where um, we have made well. Um, in which uh, you're talking about healing uh, not always happening in the ways that you think it will. Um, you know, do you want to be made well, I think is the, the tagline. Uh, the Road to Becoming was another book um, in planning for the um, uh, not how I planned it moments um, is, is what it was. Um, yeah. Again, just talking about how things change uh, yeah. in life. Um, and then your third book uh, goes in another direction. And we're talking about um, how kids can say no, um, which... By the way, my wife and I love it. Um, it's it's an awesome um, uh, awesome theme um, and something that we try to teach our kids as well. Um, pretty much since day one, um, in every way that we can, uh, that they are in charge of of their nose and and all of that. So um, so good stuff. Where can we find these books? Where can they find information about that? Thanks. Yeah, it's um everything. All the books are on you know Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you get books. I have a website, JennySimmons.com. Um, I'm mostly active on Instagram, which is just Jenny Simmons music, which is how RJ, you and I met. Um, yes. yeah. So, um, yeah, so those are some, some easy ways. And I, the book is actually part of a three part series. I'm so excited. So I'm in the middle right now of writing the second book, um, which will be coming out in April. So. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very excited about it. Um, we kind of always end our podcast, um, kind of letting you just tell us what what's uh, you kind of just did there but you know what's your year look like anything you're looking uh, forward to um, anything you want to share about how this year has been going for you yeah totally um i i'm excited i i'm in my last year of seminary Whew. so i graduate nice. in may after this four-year program and um my little girl we just realized she's going to be graduating pre-k that week so we're gonna have a big graduation party nice. um and i um i started into this after you know after walking through the um after walking through the death of my nieces i 
really fell in love with um, hospital hospice chaplaincy. And so I have an internship coming up um, through the VA uh, as a hospital chaplain here in Nashville. And yes. um, so I'm just excited to sort of, I, I don't, what I learned through all of my career, if I could sum it all up, it'd be this. I don't know what's going to happen next. I really don't. And I'm okay living that way now. I wasn't back then and it took a lot to get here, but this is the most um, free place I've been. And it's the most beautiful place that I've been because I find that um, God is a God full of surprises. And I think God writes mm -hmm. stories that, that you and I are, we're not planning. We're not thinking through it. We don't see it yet. And to me, that's exciting. So, um, I have things coming up this year, but like, where will I be in five years, 10 years, 20 years? I, honestly, I don't know. And, and I like that. I always heard that. I always heard that phrase. If you want to make God laugh, tell me your plans for the future. <laughs> right. Apparently he thinks I'm a comedian. So that's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, thank you again for joining us. Uh, we are going to end the broadcast. So if you don't mind just staying for a few more seconds after that, so we can wrap it up, but thank you guys at home for joining us. Uh, again, we're available on, uh, YouTube, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can get your um, streaming uh, podcasts. Uh, but thank you for joining us again. Jenny Simmons, uh, formerly of Addison Road, author, musician, mother, uh, and, awesome and many person. other things. <laughs> yes, it was a great time. But thank you again for joining us. Uh, have a great night, guys. Thanks, you guys.